Welcome to the King's Word Bible Study. I'm your host, Brother Vinny Fitzgerald, and today we're going to delve into the Bible to bring you insight from God's Word that will help you to grow and to develop into spiritual maturity. These lessons are designed to help guide you and strengthen you in your relationship with the Lord. Whether you never opened the Bible or have read it cover to cover, this podcast will inform and uplift you. Our purpose is not only for you to know and to understand the King's Word, but for you to live it out in your day-to-day life. Philippians 4 and 9 tells us, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Today our topic is going to be, Love Not the World. Let's begin in 1 John chapter 2. In 1 John chapter 2, beginning in the 15th verse, it says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. This is a short passage, but there's a lot of deeper truths hidden in it. The first part of verse 15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. This may seem self-explanatory at first glance, but there's more to it than what meets the eye. We find here the concept of love and the danger of loving the world. As we've looked at it over times, in the Greek language, there are four different words for love. This is important because the New Testament was originally written in Greek. In English, we only have one word for love, which we use as a catch-all phrase for all the different types and all the different degrees of love. The first type of love is eros, which refers to physical sexual love. The second type is philos, which refers to the love between friends or family members. The third type is storge, which refers to the love among family members, especially as it relates to devotion. The last type is agape, which is the highest form of love. This is the type of love that God loves us with. This is the sacrificial, unconditional love of God. Understanding these makes a big difference because they give us a deeper insight into the scripture and its meaning. Verse 15 in full says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Love is mentioned in this verse three times. Each time it's the word agape. Even though they are all agape, we still find a difference in the meaning because of the parts of speech that are used. The first two are verbs, while the last one is a noun. When it says, the love of the Father is not in him, love is a noun. The concordance says that it means love, goodwill, benevolence, esteem, love feasts. It also says that it means love which centers in moral preferences, so too in secular ancient Greek. In the New Testament, it typically refers to the divine love, what God prefers. This is all about having the same preferences as God and having the moral preferences necessary to properly live out the Christian life. When someone loves the world, they don't have these preferences. Their preferences are not in accordance with God's, and that's where the problem lies. We next need to look at agape as a verb. Both phrases, love not the world, and if any man love the world, have love as a verb. They're conjugated differently. The first one is agape and the second is agapa, but they both had the same meaning. The concordance says as a verb it means to love, 
wish well to, take pleasure in, long for. It denotes the love of reason and esteem. It goes on to say it means to prefer, to love. For the believer, preferring to live through Christ, embracing God's will, choosing his choices, and obeying them through his power. It preeminently refers to what God prefers, as he is love. With the believer, it means actively doing what the Lord prefers, with him, by his power and direction. True loving is always defined by God, a discriminating affection, which involves choice and selection. It is Christ, living his life through the believer. This shows us that we aren't dealing with the preferences themselves, but rather with acting upon those preferences and living them out. This definition looks at love through the lens of the believer, which makes it clear to us why we shouldn't love the world. If we're loving the world, the story completely changes. It means that we prefer the world and that we long for the things of the world. It means that we embrace the will of the world and make the choices that the world wants us to make and follow their preferences. It means that we're giving the world our obedience as we actively do what they direct us to do. Worst of all, it means that we're allowing the spirit of the world to live through us. True love is not in word or in thought, it's in action. Action is very important because the same way that we know a tree by the fruit that it bears, we know what a person loves by their outward actions, and we know a person's preferences by the way that they choose to conduct themselves. The inward always manifests itself outwardly, and true love always manifests itself in action. But even though the outward action is the most evident, as the proof of love, there's always something behind the action. There's a thought process, and in this case, a preference of the mind, which leads to the action. Actions are never their own entity. They are always traceable to a cause. If a person loves the Lord, they won't act like they love the world, because the two don't go together. They're not compatible. A person can't both simultaneously love God and love the world. It's not possible. Matthew 6 and 24 says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and mammon. The same principle applies to love. We have to either love God or love the world. We can't have one foot on either side of the line. It doesn't work that way. The real issue comes down to preferences. If a person loves the world in their actions, it means that their preferences are worldly. Preferences are of the mind, which means that a change needs to take place in our mind. Romans 12 and 2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Before we were born again, our mind was beholden to its default setting the fallen sinful human nature. And it's this nature that causes a person to have a preference for the things of the world instead of the things of God. This weakens a person's moral sensitivity and causes them to make choices that are detrimental to them, choices that draw them further and further away from God. This leads a man to serve the world, giving the world system his obedience. We as the people of God have different preferences. Ours are godly rooted in God's character and in his word. This causes us to have a strong moral sensitivity, and this causes us to make choices that are beneficial to us, choices that build us up and edify us. Our will needs to be in accordance with God's will. This draws us closer to the heart and the mind of God and causes us to give him our complete and total obedience. The ways of this world are evil, and the things of the world are not of God. 
and they are not in line with our mindset and preferences as Christians. This puts us at odds with the world. When we became born again, God placed his spirit within us and gave us a new nature. He also began the process of renewing our minds. This changes the way that we think and the way that we see the world. It strengthens our morality. It becomes clear to us what's right and what's wrong. It becomes easier to see evil for what it is. We're able to discern our own preferences for our moral sensitivity. When we see the evil of the world, it should bother us. It should grieve us in our spirit. And this is something that we can feel. It feels like a stirring in our spirit. If we don't feel anything, that means that something's wrong. That means that we become callous to the things of the world, and we need the Lord to restore our sensitivity. When something bothers us, it reveals that we don't prefer that thing. But if we aren't bothered by something, our lack of care shows that we find it acceptable, which is a preference by default, whether it is conscious or subconscious. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 2. In 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning in the second verse, it says, And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. For if God spare not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man, dwelling among them, and seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations, and to reserve the unjust under the day of judgment to be punished. Verse 7 is important. It says, And delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. We find here that he was vexed. We find it again in verse 8, which tells us, For that righteous man dwelling among them, and seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. What exactly does it mean to be vexed? In the Greek, there are two different words used for vexed in this chapter. In verse 7, it means to wear down, exhaust by labor or suffering, wear out, overpower, oppress, to make trouble for, to afflict or oppress with evils. In verse 8, we find a completely different word used for vexed, which shows the depth of what Lot experienced. It means torture, a tormenting trial, to examine, literally by using torture. The concordance goes on to say that it means to vex with grievous pains of body or mind, to be harassed, distressed, of those who at sea are struggling with a headwind or a ship tossed by the waves. The evil around him vexed him to his innermost being. It tortured him to see what he saw and hear what he heard. He wasn't callous and he didn't have worldly preferences. He was sensitive to the morality that God prefers. It also says that he was vexed day to day, which shows that this wasn't something that was a one-time thing or a passing feeling. He was daily tormented and bothered by evil. God doesn't want us to live life constantly tormented. That's not his will for us. But when we see or hear of evil, we can't just turn a blind eye to it or let it go in one ear and out the other. We have to see it for what it is, 
We need to recognize that it's not in accordance with his will. He doesn't prefer what's being done. And this fact alone is what bothers us. We're constantly in a battle with the world. The winds of culture are against us, which causes us to be tossed by the waves while we're here on this earth. If our preferences are right, we will be vexed from time to time by the evils that we see and hear. Verse 7 in the NSAB version is translated as, And if he rescued righteous lot, oppressed with the sensual conduct of unprincipled men. The word for conduct means behavior, conduct, dealing with other men, manner of life. The concordance also says that it means a change of outward behavior from an upturn in inner beliefs and presuppositions. This reinforces what we looked at earlier, that the outward is always traceable to the inward. Lot was vexed day to day by their outward actions of evil, but those actions were traceable to the people's preference for evil and their preference for the things of this world. 1 John 2 and 16 told us, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. These are the things that the people were indulging in. Their actions were not of God. The underlying root cause of the problem was their preferences, which caused them to conduct themselves in the way that they did. When we see all the evil around us taking place, tormenting and troubling us, we need to ask ourselves, how do we properly respond as the people of God? First, we need to start with our preferences. They need to be in line with God's. So then it follows that we must ask ourselves, what exactly are God's preferences? What God prefers is His will. He never wills anything that He doesn't prefer. When we allow His will to become ours, we know that we're in accordance with Him. We find out His will through the Word. If you want to know the will of God, we need to know the Word. And if you want to do the will of God, you need to do the Word. Romans 12 and 2 in the English Standard Version says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Once our mind is renewed and our will is reformed, it will influence how we see the world. It will expose evil for what it is, and we will clearly see what is good in God's sight. This leads to the second step, which is allowing His preferences to influence our actions. This is our doing of the will of God. The first step is knowing the will. The second step is doing it. We have to let the will of God influence our actions. When we looked at Romans 12 and 2 in the King James Version, it said that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We prove that His will is good when we live it out through good corresponding actions. Even the world notices the good that Christians do because their actions are out of step with the ways of the world. The contrast is stark, which makes our actions more noticeable. We are called to live out the word. The more we study it and the more we let it go down into our spirit, the more fruit that it will produce in our lives. Let's go to James chapter 1. In James chapter 1, beginning in the 22nd verse, it says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. 
If any man among you seem to be religious, and brittleeth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. We need to be doers of the word. Our faith needs to be active. The last part of verse 27 is important. It says, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. We'll never be perfect, but we do this through living out the will of God to the best of our ability. We need our moral preferences to be in line with God's in order for us to do this. When we see and hear evil, how should we as Christians respond? There's only one way for us to respond. We can't change other people. Only God can do that. But we can change ourselves. Bayard Rustin, who was a close advisor of the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. and an organizer of the 1963 March on Washington, once said, The only way to reduce ugliness in the world is to reduce it in yourself. Any real substantial change must begin on the individual level. Change for the better starts with us. But how do we affect change in the world? We find the answer in Romans 12 and 21, which says, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. The more we do good, and the more we live out the will of God, it draws people closer to God. They see the peace, the joy, and the love in our lives, and they want it because they don't have it. And this is letting our light shine. Change takes place one person at a time. Even just one soul coming to Christ makes an eternal difference. Our obedience to God is what makes the difference. We are called to love not the world with agape love. We're not meant to love the world or its ways unconditionally. There are certain conditions that should make us hate the world and its ways, such as when we come across evil. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Why would it say that the Lord loved the world here and then command us to not love the world? The difference is between how the love is directed. There's a difference between love of the world and love towards the world. Christ didn't love the ways of the world, but he loved the people of the world and wanted to see them freed from the bondage that the world keeps them in. He wanted to pull them out of the world. His love was directed only to the people, not to the world itself. This is an example of the saying, hate the sin, not the sinner. We can love a person without loving what that person does. And that's the same way that we should be towards the world. We should love the people, wanting to see them come to Christ, but not love their preferences or their actions. Love of the world is drastically different. It means a full embrace of the world and its ways, approval of their moral preferences, which are inherently immoral, and obedience to their way of life. All of these are antithetical to the way that we're called to live as Christians. None of these things deserve self-sacrificial, unconditional love from us. Only God and His people deserve the special, highest form of love from us. We have to direct our love in the right way. Even though the evil of the world will vex us from time to time, we need to stand strong. We should allow the vexing to drive us to action. Once we know that our actions are in line with God's, we will know that our actions will further bring God's will to pass. James 1 and 25 gives us a great promise. It says, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. We will be blessed if we stay faithful. We need to make the decisive choice today 
to follow the Lord's command to love not the world. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your love that you have shown to us, each in our own lives. Lord, we thank you for your agape love, your self-sacrificial, unconditional love. And we thank you that you loved us to the point that you were willing to send your own son to die for sins that we committed and in order to redeem us and buy us back from the power of the enemy to pay a price that we weren't able to pay. Lord, we thank you that you have shown love to us. And Lord, help us to love those in the world, not their preferences, not their actions, but love them for who they are as a person because they're made in your image and we know that you love them. Lord, we ask that You give us the wisdom and the discernment to help us to let our light shine as we show them love so that they may be freed also. We see the bondage that they're in in the world, the bondage that the enemy is trying to keep them under. But Lord, we know that that is not your will. Lord, we rebuke and we curse the evil that is holding these people in slavery to the enemy. And Lord, today we proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison doors to them which are bound. Lord, let your word go forth and open up their spiritual eyes so that when they see the love of your people, that they will not be able to resist the love that you have for them and that they'll come to you and find salvation and find all that they're looking for in you. Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing. We thank you for the work that you're doing in the world to free these people. And we thank you for all the glory that it's going to bring to your name. And Lord, we give you all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you want to love not the world and have Jesus as a part of your life today, all you need to do is to invite Jesus into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. You then need to repent of your sins and ask for his forgiveness. Then you trust that you've been forgiven and you ask for his free gift of eternal life. Now, if you prayed this from a sincere heart and you truly meant it, then you are now a part of the family of God. Welcome to God's family. We want to thank everybody for listening today. We appreciate you taking out your time to spend with us. If you'd like to give us feedback and tell us how much you appreciate this show, you can contact us at kingswordbiblestudy at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about this program and this ministry, you can visit kingswordbible.com. We appreciate also if you write a review from wherever you're listening to this podcast from. And if you follow and subscribe, so that more people can hear the King's word for themselves. God bless you. We want you to know that we love you all. And we will see you next week as we continue to study the King's word together.